first reading is from 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 to 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram, and also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. 
Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. The second reading is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Pray for Steve before he speaks to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Steve speaking to us this morning, Lord, and uh, just for your word too, Lord. And we just pray that uh, Steve will speak your word clearly to us and that we will have open hearts to receive your word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Claire. Good morning, everybody. Isn't it a beautiful day? There we are. And my wife's not able to be with us this morning. Uh, our daughter got engaged on New Year's Day, and uh, as she lives in London, she arrived midnight last night, and today she has to drag her mother around reception venues. So um, I thought this would be a really good opportunity for me to just reach out to you as a congregation about some of the domestic challenges that I face. Uh, and... and I, you know, I, I just feed on your sympathy and love. Um, so I, I know you're there for me. So look, one of the things that I face is this. This happens a lot. Jane and I will be at home, and we'll be having a very nice time together. And over the course of several minutes, I start to realize that the room has gone silent. And I look up, and she's looking at me. And she says, I'm not going to say anything until you put that thing down. (laughs) That thing is my phone. She didn't realize how important this is to me and how much I depend on it day by day. It's not just with Jane. It's with my family as well. We can be having a great time together, and I'm just taking part in the conversation, and I say something, and they all say, oh, Dad, we said that five minutes ago. Now, I hope you appreciate some of the challenges, not just my impending bankruptcy with the wedding, but also (laughs) the the challenges that I face at home. It's really difficult. Thank you, Fran. (laughs) Fran knows because she's got the same habits. (laughs) We're going to be thinking today about being present. 
there's a great book by Dr. John Townsend called People Fuel. And he, he comes up with four different sections, I won't go through them all, about the relational nutrients that we all need, the things that feed us in our lives. And the first section is all about being present. We need people to be present to us, don't we? And you know what it's like uh, when I'm talking to you and I, my eye moves from your face over your shoulder to the other person that I need to talk to next. You, you know what that's like, don't you? And I know how it annoys you because you need me to be present. And um, it has been said that love equals time. And that is true. You can't love someone without giving them your time. But equally, you can't love someone without giving them your attention. And amazing things happen when we are present to one another. That's when intimacy develops. That's when relationships develop. But you see, if you looked at my life, you would see that I don't just have domestic problems. I have spiritual problems as well. Because if you were to observe my life, you would see that I do all the right things. You, you, you would see that I spend a lot of time reading my Bible. I spend a lot of time praying. But a lot of that time, I'm not really present. Now maybe one or two of you can identify with this. Either in the domestic front or in terms of your relationship with God. About being present. But when we are present, wonderful things happen. Uh, I think it was uh, 2000, let me just check my notes. About 10 years ago that a, uh, a program was put on the, on the TV which involves a number of people going to live in a community. Have I got that on my next slide or am I out of order, Hannah? I'm out of order. Uh, and um, they went to live uh, at St. Binos, which is a, an Ignatian retreat center in North Wales. Now, these were normal secular people who had never had uh, any time praying normally, and they were invited to go on a silent retreat for eight days. I have done this at St. Binos. It was torture. <laughs> no, actually, it was, it was great. But um, they went for eight days, and they lived in silence, and they just shared in the rhythm of, of the, the community there in prayer and worship. That's the only time that any noise came out of their mouth. You, ha you have your meals in silence. It's, Analia, you would hate it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not for Brazilians. Uh, and, uh, and they had that experience. And what they first of all found was that all sorts of things started to surface that they normally stuffed down through the activities of their lives. Here's a quote from uh, Father Jameson, who is, uh, was leading that retreat. Uh, For Benedict, distraction inside my head are actually noises inside my heart. They are the result of the natural human condition, the condition of not having a pure heart. And it doesn't take you long to realize you don't have a very pure heart. So all sorts of stuff starts bubbling up. And uh, they met occasionally with... Uh, Christopher Jamison, and talk through what was happening. But also what happened was that they started to become aware of God. These were kind of just secular people. It's almost like, just turn the noise off. Oh, and he's there. And they started having these, these spiritual experiences. 
So we're going to be thinking, let's go back a slide, we're going to be thinking about two people in uh, the Bible today, um, who Elijah, Elijah and Martha, who had experiences uh, of distraction, experiences of not being present to God, and then experiences of encounter. Now, I just want to say a few things about these people. These are good people. If you trouble, are, are troubled like me with not being present, either in your human relationships or to God, it's not because you're a bad person. These are good people. Elijah is a prophet. He is courageous. He's obedient to God. He's revered as like the archetypal prophet because um, when he meets with Jesus in the transfiguration in the Gospels, Moses is representing the law and Elijah is representing all the prophets. So he's a, he's a good man. Martha is a good woman. She's a woman who devotes herself to others. Uh, interestingly, if you read John Vanier's commentary on the Gospel of John, he has a really interesting hypothesis about Martha. So Martha lived with Mary and Lazarus, her sister and her brother. And it's really unusual family at that time. Lazarus never speaks. Mary and Martha speak, but not Lazarus. And why aren't they married? Because it would, the expectation would be for a woman to be married in those days, of marriageable age. And he has this hypothesis that actually Lazarus is disabled. He's a disabled brother. And that Martha and Mary are devoting their lives to bringing him up. Or he's very young. It's interesting, isn't it? If you start reading the story through that lens, it's quite eye-opening. Why would Jesus make that the place where he felt most at home? Isn't that interesting? And where does Jesus feel most at home today? And what kinds of families and communities? So these are good people. These are devoted people. I've said about Martha tirelessly working for her family. And for Jesus, who tends to drop in with his 12 mates all the time, and Elijah, he's, he's blown by the Spirit, wherever the Spirit wants him to go. And then at the end of his life, he's just, he's swept away by the chariots of heaven, the chariots of fire that we sing about at rugby matches. That's where it comes from. Uh, uh, and amazingly devoted people. They are people are, who love God. Elijah is devoted to Yahweh, the true God, the God of Israel, at a time when the rest of his country are all turning to worship the Baals. Martha is devoted to God. When, she, when her brother Lazarus dies in John's Gospel, she talks to Jesus very theologically. She, she, she's focused on her love for God. So if you have these problems that I have, we're not saying you're a bad person, you're not devoted, or you don't love God, but we face them, don't we? Someone say yes. yes. Thank you. That makes me feel a lot better. Okay, so we're going to just look at these two characters and see what we can learn from them. First of all, Elijah. There's Elijah at his, the entrance of the cave that Claire read about. Three lessons from Elijah's life, and the first is this. Look at the dashboard. I heard someone say that he'd had a kind of breakdown in life, and he'd, he'd gone through life driving in the fast lane. And to use the analogy of 
the dashboard in a car, he'd looked at the dashboard and noticed two dials. And the first dial was, how am I doing spiritually? And the second dial was, how am I doing physically? And he had this um, theory that if he was spiritually in Christ and he was physically in shape, then he was invincible until he hit the wall. And he noticed that there was another dial on the dashboard which asked the question, how am I emotionally? And he'd ignored it. Elijah is really, not yet, kind of, Elijah, this is is our new teamwork. Uh, Elijah is really burnt out. He's had a really intense time. He's confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Uh, He'd got rid of the prophets of Baal. He had a death threat on his life from the queen, Jezebel, and he was running away. He was completely burned out. And so he lies down in this wilderness area, and it doesn't really come out in our translation of the Bible, but um, in the landscape there is a solitary broom tree. And under that solitary tree, the solitary man lies down. I wonder whether you've experienced that from time to time. Burnout. There's just nothing left in the tank. And he lies down. He's exhausted. And what happens is that God comes to him and he attends to his physical needs. What I find um, very often, I talk to people who come to me saying, I'm in a spiritual crisis. God's far away. When I pray, I just can't sense his, his presence at all. And when we dig beneath the surface, what I discover is actually they are exhausted. They're maybe emotionally exhausted or physically exhausted. And in fact, incapable of feeling anything positive. And that was true for Elijah. You know, when Elijah finally gets to Mount Horeb, and there is the earthquake, earthquake, wind, and fire, the manifestations of God's presence paralleling his meeting with Moses on that same mountain. It has no effect on, on Elijah. Really? No matter what God did, it wasn't getting to him. And it's almost in when God moves on, and there's just this silence left behind that Elijah emerges from his cave. So, lesson one from Elijah. Take a look at the dashboard. How are you doing? How are you physically? How are you emotionally? How are you spiritually? And it's a good question to ask each other as well. Second point from Elijah is this. Check out your internal narrative. Do you notice there's twice in this passage that God asks Elijah a question? The question is straightforward. What are you doing here, Elijah? And out of his mouth comes the same words. He says, read it, verses 10 and 14. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And then when he gets to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, and God asks him the same question, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, 
I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death by the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. This is his internal monologue. This is going on in his head all the time. And when we're asked the question, how are you? Sometimes that internal monologue that we have comes out. What's the story you're telling yourself about your life right now? What is the story you're telling yourself about where you're up to? What's the story you're telling yourself about how you are relating to other people? I'm alone. Proves that at the end of the passage, he's not alone. There are hundreds of other prophets remaining. But he's reached this point. So that's a good question to ask. What is the internal narrative? And in this episode, that, the narrative that Elijah tells himself all the time is challenged. Elijah's exhaustion gives way to the kindness of God as God tends to his needs for food and sleep. Elijah's internal narrative gives way to the whisper of God, another voice starting to come into his mind. Elijah's self-pity finally gives way to the mission of God as God paints another narrative of what is going to happen. So what's the narrative that you tell yourself? Third point about Elijah Move in the right direction. I don't know whether you notice, there are four phases of Elijah's journey. The first phase is when he just picks up his skirts and runs away from the Queen Jezebel to safety. And he stops and he gets rid of his servant and then he has a day's trek into the wilderness. That's the second phase of the journey. And that was a journey for, for him into depression. And the third journey is the one initiated by God, and that's 40 days. And God takes him on this journey, a long journey, to meet with him at Horeb. And then the fourth phase of the journey is a journey in obedience to God as God recommissions him and sends him off again. The end point of his journey is obedience to God. That's a really important thing to remember especially when we're thinking about in this series on spirituality. The end point is not your spirituality. The end point is your obedience to God. But sometimes that 40-day journey is what we're going through. And for me, very often, you know, the, the, the whole thing about becoming present to God, I've, I'm a bit like a, an oil tanker, you know, a, a, heavy ship that's going through the water. It takes a long time to turn around. It is a journey. And you may find that you're in the middle of that journey at this moment in time. I want to encourage you to persist, to keep going towards the mountain of God, to the place where he can speak to you, from where you can set out on the next phase of the journey in obedience to him. So those are three things from Elijah's life about being present. And we're going to think about Martha. I love this picture of Martha. Um, it's by uh, uh, Diego Velasquez. And I don't know who that woman is behind because the impression I get of Martha is that she's alone in the kitchen. And I think that woman is some kind of voice, maybe the voice of duty that's telling her what she should be doing. 
The irony in both these narratives is that Elijah and Martha find it difficult to be present to God because they are so busy doing his work. I, can I say that again? And I'll say it to myself. They find it difficult to be present to God because they are so busy doing his work. So if you're in any position of responsibility in the church, hear that. And uh, if you are just one of those dutiful and conscientious people, hear that. They were so busy doing his work that they couldn't be present to him. If Elijah's problem was burnout, Martha's problem is distraction. It's brought out in the uh, uh, New Revised Standard Version, which says this, but Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. The many has become the enemy of the one. One place, one time, one person. Now, we, we live in an age of distraction, don't we? Everything around us is designed to distract us. I read a, an article in the New Yorker magazine uh, which talks about two big theories about why distraction is on the rise. The first is material, that in our urbanized, high-tech society, it, the environment is designed to distract us. It's also a spiritual factor that we are distracted because the most terrifying prospect would be to find ourselves alone. So a few points about Mary, about Martha. And the first is this. Recognize when you are distracted. Martha, it seems to me, was torn between the kitchen and the living room. She was busy away in the kitchen trying to get the meal ready for Jesus, but she really wanted to be in the living room where her sister Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him. She wanted to be in two places at once. And I, I, I'm not sure she, she was aware of herself being distracted until Jesus says, Martha, you are distracted by many things. So recognize when you're distracted. You're hovering by the door. You'd like to, like to be with Jesus, but actually you, you, you need to be somewhere else. And if you're anything like me, uh, I experience this a lot. I, I hear the call of the Lord. Let's just, let's just spend some time together. I want to do that. I really want to do that. But then I'm pulled elsewhere. I want to be in two rooms at the same time. Recognize it. Secondly, make a choice. Mary had made a choice. Here was Jesus. Here was Emmanuel, God with us, God present. And she chose to be present. This was a remarkable thing, actually, in that day, that a woman should be, have the privilege of sitting to learn from the rabbi. And as far as we know, she was the only one. I mean, there's no mention of anyone else, is there, in the, in the passage? And she took that opportunity. Make a decision. Jesus says, There's, there is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. And um, commentators have wondered, what did he mean when he says, there's need of only one thing? It could be, 
that he's saying to Martha, hey, Martha, you don't have to lay on a feast. You know, one dish is enough. And I think that's a really important thing for us to hear as a church because we need to be a church where we are welcoming people regularly into our homes, where we are offering hospitality. And it does not need to be a gourmet meal because the gift that you're giving is not really the food. The gift that you're giving is your attention. It's about being present. And if you lay on a fantastic feast, but you're flustered and you're not really with the people, it's a waste of time. So if you feel a bit intimidated about the whole culture of hospitality that we try to cultivate here, don't. Baked beans is fine. But, but your attention and your presence is the real gift. It could also mean you don't need many things, Martha. You just need the one thing. You're distracted by many things. You just need the one thing. And sometimes, as we go through our distracted lives, we need to recognize that, don't we? I don't need that. I don't need to be doing that. At this moment of time, there's only one thing I need to do. So, a quick summary before we just do a little sort of prayer exercise about Elijah and Martha. Elijah's problem was burnout. And the lessons from him are, look at the dashboard. Look at the dashboard. How are you? Physically, emotionally, spiritually. We are one person. We believe in a God who became incarnate, who had a body. We look forward to the resurrection of the body. Take notice. Secondly, check out your internal narrative. What is the story you're telling right now about your life or about this phase of your life? Is it true? Is that God's story of your life? Thirdly, move in the right direction. Keep moving. You're on a journey. You're on a journey to be attentive to God and then you're on a journey from there to live your life in obedience to what he says to you. Keep moving the right direction. Then the lessons from Martha. Recognize when you're distracted and make a positive choice to leave the many things that distract for the one thing that matters.